Old Testament, Daniel chapter 3. And tonight I'd like to teach you about the, the faith of three men who ended up going into a fiery furnace because they took a stand for God. So if you find the big prophets in the Old Testament like Isaiah and all of those and Ezekiel and Jeremiah just keep going forward. You run into, you run in, after Ezekiel, you run into Daniel. And then Daniel chapter three is where we will be. And I'm going to begin reading with verse number one. It says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. Now, a cubit in ancient times would extend from about your elbow to the tip of your longest finger. Now, quite naturally, everybody has a, 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 there's a differential there, but you're looking at about 90 feet or so tall, about nine feet or so in its width with this image. And it says, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes Governors and captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image, which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then, all of those names we just read, they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, Sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And along with that, I'm just going to read First Peter 1 verse 7 and 6. It says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If now you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at the faith of an individual who, of several individuals who passed through a difficult times, and, and, and I think it'll speak to, to all all of our hearts. Pull that door up for me there. That, that coffee is making a little bit of noise. Pull that up just a little bit. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you. We're so grateful this evening to be able to fellowship now for a few moments as we get into the word of God. We pray that you speak to all of our hearts as we look at the faith of these three men. So give us ears to hear and help me to speak clearly tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, by way of context, Daniel is a book about a man who was chosen for a particular task, and he had skill in understanding dreams and visions. And he had three good friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, very good friends, who also were skillful and had a lot of wisdom. Well, this man, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream one night, and when he... Woke up, he couldn't remember what he dreamed. And this is in chapter 2. And so he called all of the wise men of Babylon and he said to them, I want you to tell me the interpretation of my dream, but by the way, I can't remember the dream. 
And he said, if you are unable to tell me the interpretation of the dream, then I'm going to kill all the wise men in Babylon. And so they said to him, they said, well, King, don't you understand that you're asking the impossible. It's one thing for you to tell us the dream and then we tell you what it means, but you're asking us to tell you what you dreamt. And we have no idea what you dreamt. And so Nebuchadnezzar said to them, I can see you're trying to buy time. So here, here's the allotted time that you have and everybody's going to lose their life. Well, Daniel heard about this and he and his three friends went to the Lord in prayer. They just shut themselves in and went to God. And they said, Father, you're the, the revealer of secrets. You can tell us exactly what is taking place. And so the Lord spoke to them and said, here's the dream that he had. He had a dream that he saw an image. And in that image, the head of the image had gold. It was all gold. It said, then the breastplate and the arms were of silver. And then the belly part was of some brass going down to the thighs. And then it said there was some iron that was in the leg portion. And then in the ankle parts and in the feet, there was iron mixed with clay. So when he gave the interpretation, he explained to them that these all represent kingdoms. From the toes with the mixture of iron and clay is the Roman Empire coming all the way up through the the Greco-Roman group and then the Persian Empire. And he said to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now that made Nebuchadnezzar excited. Because when we get to chapter 3, you can see in verse 1, he made an image of gold. This man wanted something to erect that would provide for a, a legacy for him. Something that would be of some enduring value. If I'm the image of gold and I'm the king of kings, as the interpretation came, then I need to have something that people possibly will remember me by. So he set the image up in a place where many people could see it, and multitudes of people were invited, as you can see from verse 2 and 3. They came from all the provinces, hundreds and hundreds, we'll say thousands of people, have gathered before this image for its dedication. And then a herald cries out, you know what a herald is? That's the one that usually walked before the king and told everybody to bow down. The king is coming. The king is here. The king is coming. John the Baptist was a herald for Jesus. He sound aloud and make, make noise, or should say noise abroad, what is about to occur. So the herald said, look, all of you that have come, everybody that's here, the orchestra is going to strike up this nice little music, and I want everybody in sync to bow down and worship this image, and if you refuse to do this, you're going cast alive into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, as we know happened, you can see that <clears throat> that's exactly what they did. Verse number six, that is what occurred. So you, you've got the, the voice of the herald, and people fell down in worship, and, and lo and behold, with, with this going on, but way off in the distance, while everybody else has their head pressed to the, the, the earth and, and out of their peripheral vision, way off in the distance, there's somebody you can see there, there are three people that are still standing. Or he didn't even bother to show up. And if they're standing and if they're kneeling next to him, then of course you know they've got their face pressed to the earth and then they can look over here and they see, see ankles and feet. But however it worked out, the message got around, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you have three Jewish men. They're from that rebellious race of people. And they refuse to bow down to your image. Now, verse 10 tells us 
you, O king, you've made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of that orchestra, and they shall fall down and worship, and whoever doesn't fall down is going to be burned alive in that furnace. But there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but these king, O king, have not regarded you and served not your gods, nor worshiped the golden image that you've set up. So they, they have said to the king, there are some people here that have rejected your religion, have rejected your authority, have rejected your majesty, and these people are going on doing whatever they want to do, and that's why the king got angry. And, and you can see in verse, verse number 13 that, that in his rage and in his fury, he, he commanded that they be, be brought before him again. Now let's, let's work on a, a few things here. Now, Nebuchadnezzar being the king, he's the political authority. He's the magistrate. The people came from everywhere and intimidated by the surroundings, intimidated by that mass orchestra. These people acquiesced and they worshiped that image. The Jewish people refused to do it. Daniel chapter 1 and the end of Second Chronicles tells us that there were thousands of Jewish people that were in Babylon during this time. And I don't know how many of these other leaders might have been Jewish or how many of them might have just been uh, all, you know, Babylonian. Some may have been uh, just Jewish laypersons. But, but one thing I do know, there are some people that, that bowed down and worshipped. And you've got to ask the question, if people have faith in their heart towards God, why would they bow down and worship an image? I, I wouldn't worship anything that I had to carry around. I wouldn't worship anything that I had to put on a shelf because it couldn't move itself. I certainly wouldn't want to worship any kind of image or statue or figurine that I had to make or someone else had to make. But that's exactly what happened here. Nebuchadnezzar had some designers and some workers, some metalsmiths, put together this beautiful image. And it was so impressive that when he stood it up there, the people looked at that thing. And some of them, probably because they honestly believed it was a god, others because they just didn't want to rock the boat. Some because they didn't really care. They were indifferent. Sooner we get this thing over with, sooner we can go back home. And so they went through all of that. But the point of this was that there was somebody who didn't like these three Hebrew boys. And if you find that people are trying to undermine you and hinder you from the, the, uh, the relationship that you have with God, then, then people will stop at nothing. Now, mind you, this happens again later on with Daniel and the lion's den. There's some people who will stop at nothing until they see your authority undermined and they see you lose your job. And they'll go out of their way to see that, to see that happen. So when Nebuchadnezzar brought these three men before him in his anger, he had said to the, the people, now look, you, you bring those three men to me now. Don't waste any time. Bring that orchestra. Get them back up here. Tell them they're going to play one more time because there's going to be somebody else bowing around here in just a few moments. And then you can see here in verse 14, excuse me, verse 15, it says now, as he's talking to the three Hebrew boys, if all of you are ready that at what time you hear the sound, those instruments again, and worship the image which I have made, arrogance. He said, that's good. But if you don't worship, you'll be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? 
So he, he, he's telling them, I made the thing, but you need to know right now as you're standing in front of me, you, you are either going to bow and live or stand and die. Because from this point here, you're going from here to your grave. How, how'd you like that for some choices? See? That's, that, that's what they, that's what they have. That's very similar to what, what we saw uh, last year and the year before over there in the Middle East with ISIS. And they were taking those people in broad daylight in the middle of the street and then crucifying those Christians. Some of the parents crucified in front of the kids. Some of the kids crucified in front of the parents. Some of the young girls they took and raped in front in front of the parents. That kind of a thing. Wicked. ISIS was so bad at the time, they were even burning alive on YouTube. People who were Muslims but of a different sect. So you ask the question, how, how could people be this? This vile and this foul in their thinking. Well, this was the Babylonian way. Because nobody thought any different about this. Nobody said to the king, you know, king, we don't normally do that. That's not our custom. The king said, if you don't bow, you're going into the fiery furnace. And then he arrogantly again asked the question, who's the God that's going to deliver you from my hands? What God do you know that's stronger than me? Oh, I like that. just... Who do you know that's got arms that are greater than mine? Well, I, I know somebody. So verse 16, I love the reply. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, look, we're not too careful to, to give you an answer. There's no anxiety or worry here. He said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they're saying, we know somebody. Yeah, we, we know somebody. You, you just asked the question, so we want to make sure we answer it as clearly as we can. You said, who is the God? We're telling you, we know a God that not only is able and he will, but then verse 18, but even if he doesn't, what you need to know, O king, is that we're not going to serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. How do you think the king liked that? So we're trusting God. We're going to believe God's going to do this for us. But you, you need to know that that um, even if he didn't, we'll burn before we bow. Now, when you make a decision like that, you can expect God to get involved. You can expect the king to get involved. And it's at this point where I'm sure the Lord went on and dispatched that angel. So we got three folks down there that love me to the point of death. So you make sure when that when they cast alive in that fiery furnace, you're right there. You're right there with them. But looking again at, at verse 17, each of us need to know something about the ability of God. We need to know what he's able to do and what he's incapable of doing. Well, what is he incapable of doing? He's incapable of lying. He's incapable of changing. The scripture says the word of the Lord will not return to him void. He's incapable of dishonoring his word. But what is he able to do? Anything we can believe. Because the scripture says with God all things are possible to him that believe. He's able to save by many, as the scripture says, and he's able to save by few, as the scripture says. He's able to save one person. He's able to save many people. God doesn't have any rivals or peers. He's unique. And so verse, verse number 17, they, they go so far 
and they use the language to say he will deliver us. So, so there's a boldness that comes to you when you're talking to people that are challenging you about your God. And you want to let them know, I, I, I believe my God will take care of this. Better believe it. My God is strong. He can, he can handle this. This is not a problem that's, that's too, too big for him and there's nothing going on in your life that, that he cannot handle. Now when he, when they add this, this little, uh, little phrase here, but if not, or e- even if, uh, th- this, this isn't a statement of saying they don't believe in God. See, th- their connection with God is this. Paul said to Timothy, be thou faithful unto death. Understand that? Unto death. As long as there's breath in your body, you're to believe. But you don't always know how circumstances are going to work out. And this is what what they're getting at here. So they're saying, but if not, what you need to know, because we already know it, is that we're not going to serve your gods. Why would you want to serve a man-made religion anyhow? If, if If you went down in your basement tonight and you made a wood statue of some God and then you, you you brought it down to the center of town and you told everybody it'd be good if we come down and bow and worship that. I mean, you'd think most people wonder why would you even think anybody would do it? But this this man here, he, he was he was so um, this man was so prideful that he honestly believed people would fear him and, and, and that power would lead people to do that. So Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his visage was changed because that's what happens when people hear the word no and they're not used to it. He spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was known to be heated. Now, now this is a cultural issue here. This is a cultural issue. This man has established a decree that all cultures within his kingdom are supposed to submit to. And they have said, we have, these three have said, we will not accept your gods. Now this, this is the kind of thing that gets people in trouble all around the world. And you can see why in Egypt there are Christians that are persecuted. Why in Libya you have Christians along the Mediterranean Sea on the shores who have been beheaded. Why in China so many Christians end up going to these communist work camps and are worked to death or persecuted to the point that, that, that their joints and bones and stuff like that are dislocated from uh, being, you know, mistreated. These are the kinds of things that go on all around the world, especially when you have a culture that is trying to impose itself and stamp itself in a strong way upon people. And God wants you to be strong enough in your faith to have a conscience that says, I cannot transgress the law of God, even if it's a decree that comes from the political power. Now think of that. If they if they passed a law in America that said you had to adhere to this or adhere to that, how strong do you think you would be? You say, does stuff like that go on today? Of course it goes on. It's just not publicized. I think I may have told you several months ago about the uh, the Houston Five were down in Texas there. The former mayor, Anise Parker, who was a lesbian and involved with another lady, she in the city council and the city attorney got a law passed which said uh, transgender people can go in any bathroom of their choice. Men can go in the women's bathrooms now. Women can go in the men's bathrooms. Well, of course, when that was made public, then there was an outcry amongst the populace, 
in Houston. And the, the churches, of course, they were out there leading the way. The preachers were opposed to it, and there was all kind of activity against this. But this lady was so angry that people would dare say what she did was wrong, even to the point where some were saying what she was doing was a sin. She got the city attorney to pick five preachers out of that mass of preachers that was involved with leading the opposition against her. I think one was Asian, two were Hispanic, and the other one's one, I think, African-American. Somebody else may have been Caucasian, but it was a diverse group. But I do know this. They subpoenaed all of these preachers' sermons, wanted to know if they had said anything against homosexuality and and was saying anything against that law, and they were going to put these folks in jail. So they got some good good lawyers that knew how to defend Christians in a court. Then went all the way to the Supreme Court in uh, Texas, and the Supreme Court said you can't do this to these preachers, and that's wrong. What you did, you can't subpoena their sermons and all of that. So the lady turned around. They created another law, see, and then went after them again and went after society. This went on and on until it went to the Supreme Court, I think, twice or, or three times. But the thing that's impressive to me is that they refused to bow. This is what we believe. This is what we're preaching. You can come on any Wednesday night, any Sunday morning, Sunday night, they said, and you can hear exactly what we're teaching. But you know the sad thing about it? There were some pastors, even mega church pastors, if we'll use that language, who had hundreds and thousands of people in their churches. They didn't even want to get involved with it and open up their mouth to defend the preachers or say anything against the new law that came out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at the king, stood in his presence, and said, I'm telling you right now, we're not going to bow. You can eat that thing as hot as you want. We love God. That's where our faith is at. And, and this is where your relationship with God needs to be vibrant and strong also, because if, if you've got any kind of age on you, especially if you're over 70, then you already know this is not the America you were raised in. From patriotism to faith education, all that kind of a thing. Now, if it has changed that much in your lifetime, then imagine for us that in our 40s what it's going to look like for us when we're in our 70s or 80s, the Lord Terry. We'll look back and we'll say, oh, my word, how in the world did we ever get here? I can tell you how in some places they're going to get there. There won't be any people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand up and say we're not going to do this. We're going to serve God regardless. So it's a beautiful story. They heated the furnace seven times hotter. And you can see in verse 20, he commanded the most mighty men of the army to bind him. Now, I suppose he thought these three Jewish boys were going to fight back. And he probably needed some mighty warriors to, to restrain them. But no, that's not what they did. They permitted these mighty men to bind them. They, they didn't have to be compelled. And they were cast, according to verse 21, bound in their coats and hosen and hats and other garments and cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They were tossed in their bound, hand and feet, compelled, but they voluntarily did it. Now, what did Jesus say of his persecutors? Nobody takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. 
These mighty men didn't have to chase around three Hebrew boys to get them into the furnace. They stayed right there. That's the same with Jesus. He went to the top of Calvary's hill. Nobody had to chase him all around the the, uh, the foot of Golgotha or the top of Golgotha. That man willingly laid his life down for your sins as well as for mine. And he endured the fiery judgment that came from the king. Well, I don't know how hot the furnace had to be, but if seven people, say two people on one, each person, then you still have an extra person. If, if seven people are going close to the mouth of the furnace and it says it was so hot that they died, then you, you know how intense the flame was. And if, if you've been there a fireplace before, you know, if you, you open it up or you get somewhere near, then you, you felt the intensity of that heat. Just about scald you and burn the, the the hair off your flesh. Seven men died. Then that would mean that the three Hebrew boys on their own went right on into the fiery furnace, on their own voluntarily. That's a that's a tough path to follow. But the Scripture in Peter tells us of our Lord and Savior that we should follow in His steps. Following his steps, the pathway that he had. Well, verse 22, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the fire slew those men that took him up, and these three men fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste and said, Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And I see, he was good at math. He, 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 was, he was good at math. And they said, yes, O king, that's true. And he said, okay, but I'm looking and I see four men walking. Loose in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt in the form of the fourth is like the son of God. So the, the, the fire that was supposed to consume them actually, I mean, it, it, it burnt the ties on them that bound them. And, and these individuals ended up walking around in the midst of that fire utterly free because God had sent an angel to deliver them. Now, how do we know it was an angel? Because later on it tells us it was an angel. When it says son of God, uh, that is sometimes how they described angels. The story of Job, it says the sons of God presented themselves in the presence of the Lord and, and, and those sons of God representing angels. So verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, You servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. They came out of the fire, and the princes and governors and all those people saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed upon them. Then if you look at verse 28, they answered, and said, Blessed be the God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his, what's the next word? Angel, and delivered his servants. Now, now here's the thing. You, you see a story like this, and Nebuchadnezzar made an image, created his own God, told everybody to worship that. But now he's seen something supernatural happen, and notice he's had a change of mind. 
So verse 29, I make a decree that every people, nation, language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. This, this man doesn't mind taking people's life. <laughs> but, but the change was quick, though. And this shows you that, that, that sometimes, and you're wondering why God lets you go through certain things. So sometimes the, the, the trial or the test or the tribulation that God permits you to go through is not even really about you. It's about what God wants other people to see that he's doing in the midst of your situation. Now, he could have came to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. I know that. He came to him in a vision in chapter 2. But in this instance here, Nebuchadnezzar's his mind was utterly changed when he realized there's somebody else in that fire with him, and I know I didn't put him in there. Now he makes the decree and says, nobody better not speak evil of their God. God has a way of getting the glory even out of a pagan king's lips if God has to permit us to go through certain things. And that's why Peter said that the fiery trial of your faith being much more precious than gold, you shouldn't think it's strange that it has come to you. You say, well, why does God let me go through certain things? Well, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes to you because your faith, according to God, is much more precious than gold or silver or other things that perish. You say, that still doesn't tell me why God let me go through. Let me say it again. Don't be surprised when God lets you go through this. The whole point of this is to, is for God to work on your faith. It's like the, it's like the silversmith who sits down and he takes a, a lump of metal and he puts it on that, in that pot and then he heats up the pot and, and, and then pretty soon that thing is starting to, to smolder and then it melts and then he's got a little almost like a colander or some kind of grate over here and then he's going to take that silver stuff and pour it and it's going to catch all of the impurities and then with the pure silver or gold he's going to pour that into a cast or molding and that's what he's going to use to produce a ring a bracelet some other kind of charm and when you think about your faith God is looking at what you have residing in your heart and if he's going to increase the value of it, he has to allow it to be tested. Because most of us have a tendency to, to um, over-exaggerate how great our faith is. Mm-hmm. But you'll find out what kind of faith you have when you've got a fiery furnace out there. Or you've got an image out here that you've got a Bible for. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not intimidated by the image. They were not intimidated by the mass of people that did bow. They were not intimidated by the herald who told everybody they would die if they didn't bow. They were not intimidated by the fact that there was the potential of death in the future. Now you consider that. There are a whole lot of people that would have bowed just because everybody else bowed. And said, well, look, if they're doing it, I'll do it. I mean, I know what I believe in my heart. So it really won't matter. Well, it does matter. Because I'm sure that other than these three Hebrew boys, there may have been some Jewish people that bowed down. And if they did bow down, then we'll call them nominal believers. What do you mean by nominal believers? They're believers in name only. But you're true believers? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's a nominal Christian? Somebody just goes to church. Mm -hmm. Somebody just goes to church. That's all it is. It's just a place a place to go and 
You know, it could be for social reasons. It could be because mom and dad make me go. It could be because my spouse drags me there. It could be for any other number of reasons. But a nominal believer is just somebody who just claims that they have some kind of connection or relationship with God. But a true believer is a person whose conscience is held captive to the truth of the word of God. I'm not bowing, even if it means I have to die. That's a believer. That's conversion. That's a life changed by the power of God. If everybody else does it, doesn't mean I have to do it. I remember a story a friend of mine was telling me where he had, um, he worked as a salesman for a pretty big, uh, pretty big uh, company and made a lot of money. It's a billion dollar company. And he told me that annually they would have these parties at a different hotel in a different city around America. So he said on this one occasion, they had their meetings that day, and then the party started at whatever time it started. And he said when he walked in, he, he said they had, had the, almost like a penthouse suite, just a big, huge thing that could accommodate a, a several hundred people. And he said they didn't use the, uh, the auditorium down on the first floor because they didn't want anybody walking past seeing what was going on or anybody just walking in. So they had a, a big room up on the top floor where he had to have a key to get in. So he said when he walked in, they had in that in that, that room with all these businessmen uh, that had strippers see, and, and had all kind of uh, weird stuff going on there. So he said there was a whole lot of alcohol, more alcohol than he'd seen in a very long time. And he said there was just stuff going on that just wasn't nice or pleasant. And so he said he walked out. You know, he scanned the room for about 10 seconds and he said he walked out. And the next day when people were asking him questions about it, some of his co-workers, and they said, we thought we saw you come in briefly, and then you walked out, and he said, I, I just couldn't be a part of that. I just, that's not me. That's not who I am. And he said, furthermore, I don't think it represents our, com- our company. I just think it was inappropriate. And uh, the thing that was heartbreaking was he said uh, some of the same people he saw in there doing some of these things they should not have been doing are people who also go to church who also go to church. A nominal believer will bow. They'll bow. They'll bow to the culture. They'll bow to the politics. They'll bow to all of this here. But that person whose conscience refuses to allow them to transgress the law of God and their heart belongs to God, even if they're tempted to do it, there's still something way down in here that says... No, with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. I need to go. Yeah, that, That's the believer. None of us are perfect, we know that. But as a Christian, when you're in positions where you have to deal with Belshazzar and his feasts, that kind of a thing, be like Daniel. Remember the story of Belshazzar? He had that big party. And Daniel wasn't even there. But at that party, it says the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the wall. And they needed somebody to interpret it because they couldn't figure out what it meant. Now, Daniel comes along and Daniel looks at that. And immediately he understands by the word of the Lord that saying to Belshazzar that your days are numbered on the throne. And pretty soon you're going to be a dead man. And so he told that to Belshazzar. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Persians came in there and took over that kingdom. They dammed up that river that flowed up underneath. And they came right in through that riverbed and they took over 
the city. So what I'm saying to you is they may not invite you to all of their parties and to all of their affairs, but when the fingers of a man's hand appear and they don't know what's going on and they can't understand it, they're going to look for you. They're going to look for you. The people you try to witness to in your family or your friends that you try to talk to about God and they're not interested, things like that, as soon as they hear that C word, cancer, as soon as somebody has a stroke or a heart attack, you know who they pick the phone up and start calling? People like you who believe in prayer. They don't call an atheist. They call somebody that knows God. So that's where faith is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening that we can trust you and love you. All of us have passed through our own trials and maybe tonight even passing through a variety of trials. But God, one thing we do know is you are with us in the midst of every situation. And we know you're able, we know you will, and that's as far as we're going to go with that, Lord. So we trust you, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that your hand would be upon each of us as we walk with you throughout this wonderful new year. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.